Hello, listeners. This is Marsha Epstein with Talk With Me on LawrenceHits.com from Lawrence, Kansas. We're recording on an unusually cool summer day in Lawrence, Kansas. We will take it. It's all good. And we're recording about a month before the month of September, which includes World Suicide Prevention Day on September 10th. So there will be a sprinkling of conversations over the next month and two months that really are pretty focused on suicide prevention. Although in some ways, I, I don't want to say that I'm prejudiced against that phrase, but I do want to clarify that what I really think of is how do we all get to that place where life is truly worth living, where we have highlights frequently, not just sometimes to hang on to, you know, where there's good stuff going on, where we're laughing every day, where we sometimes have bad luck. Yeah, that's part of real life too. But we have the skills to get through that safely, stuff like that. So so for me, this this is really about how do people have good lives? How do you get there through wherever you come from? And sometimes inspiring people by hearing about somebody else who's been able to do that. So the conversation today is going to be somebody with somebody I've met through the suicide prevention community, somebody that I was thrilled to get to meet at the April 2017 conference of the American Association of Suicidology, our very big named professional organization. Um, that's for lots of people with lots of experiences, but all with passion for helping people live and want to live and enjoy living. For suicide prevention. So I want to introduce my guest today who's coming to us from Massachusetts. For those of us in the Midwest, you will notice she has a different accent than we do. We all have accents, remember that. <laughs> and my guest today is Tracy Pacheco Maderos. Welcome. Hey, how you doing, Lasha? Thank I'm you. Good. Thank you for how inviting you, me. I'm glad I'm to doing do this. pretty good. I don't know why I took us Yay, yay, yay. <clears throat> so for people who don't know much about the kind of stuff we do in general, but but have not met you before, what are just a few things that you would like people to know about you? Um, I'd like people to know that um that um <clears throat> I'm a a suicide prevention um assist trainer. Um, that I also work. Okay, um, you, in the, I'm going to interrupt you right there because okay. a lot of people who are listening aren't going to know what assist is. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Imagine My that. bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, it's a applied suicide intervention uh, skills training. Suicide applied suicide intervention skills training right it's uh i i train people who go out um who go out and help help others um you know like uh, like they'll be able to talk someone off of a bridge mm -hmm. you know they'll be able to save a person they'll be able you know um that's contemplating suicide mm -hmm. 
So I always and, like to remind people, or not remind people, but inform people, yeah. because when people hear suicide and assist, they might get a different idea about what we're talking about. And yeah, somebody, I know. They might. Yeah. Yeah. As somebody who's also... Uh, I've also been a trainer of assist and and so I, I know and, and do like that two-day workshop. And it's really something cool for people in their personal lives. You know, even the people who I trained who who were mental health professionals, they recognize that a lot of their contact with with people who were really struggling happen with people in their own lives. So it isn't just this is for other people. It's for all of us. It truly is for right. all of us. Yeah. Right. Most definitely all of us. Yeah. Um and I and I also in my you know, my job that I that I do is that I'm a certified PS specialist. Uh-huh. Which which means that I have a mental health condition um which is bipolar borderline personality disorder PTSD um and uh and I go out and I work in a crisis unit now um before I used to work in a different program but um now I work in a crisis unit where I help I try to help the ones that are coming in that are suicidal and to give them skills to try to live their life one day at a time mm-hmm. um, and try to heal um, from from whatever it is that brought them in to the crisis unit in the first place. Uh-huh. And um, I part of I was invited to become part of the leadership of our local NAMI chapter, NAMI Douglas County, Kansas, and and NAMI stands for National Alliance on Mental Illness, and. I am saying that only because I'm not a peer. I'm not somebody affected by a serious mental illness, but I have so much respect for the special kind of help that happens when somebody is able to work with somebody who also lives some of the things that they live in terms of the mental health challenges, mental illness, whatever the preferred phrase is for the person who's experiencing it, you know? And, and yeah. people, you know, like some of the people I know from the NAMI Douglas County chapter here, including a, a wonderful woman named Annie, recently married Annie Ross. And Annie um, is a certified peer specialist at the Community Mental Health Center here in Lawrence, Kansas. You know, she knows stuff, how to navigate to systems that have huge amounts of barriers that shouldn't but do. And so it's it's so encouraging in so many ways for the people who get to talk to her and other certified peer specialists. You know, there's a lot of empathy, there's a lot of compassion, and there's also some knowledge that people may not have from their own lives so far. So it's hugely important. And so that's very cool for you to, to share that, you know, to let people, whoever's listening to know, yeah, this is part of the work that you do, part of who you are. You know, and I and I really wanted to reinforce how valuable that is. So thank you for that. Oh yeah, I mean it's uh, you know on my part it's it's quite rewarding. Uh-huh. You know, um, for me too because it's like I'm giving back because I'm telling them a piece of my lived experience and I'm sharing that with them, mm-hmm. and then they're you know they're telling me you know things you know about themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it really is a great healing opportunity to for both of us to be sharing mm-hmm. uh, a piece of ourselves 
mm-hmm. um, with one another <clears throat> on the healing on the healing journey there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I also find that that the folks that I speak with. Um, they rather talk to me than some of the nurses or yeah. even the doctors, the psychiatrists, yeah. like, you know, they'll, because they know that I've been through it and I've been there, yeah. you know, and I know how to talk to the doctors. So I do a lot of educating surrounding, uh-huh. um, you know, how to talk to the doctor and stuff and how to advocate for yourself, uh-huh. you know, as well. Yeah. My hope is that as you do that, that those medical professionals are also learning from you because sometimes the need for advocacy is because that that professional has been maybe talking about things in a way using language that isn't really clear or not explaining things thoroughly or you know there there are a lot of things that that professionals we can learn to be more effective in helping people. And, and that's that. So the learning to me is, you know, I understand what you're saying is that you're, you're teaching people who you work with about advocacy and, and knowledge that they need to, to get the most benefit from the services that they need. But again, I, my hope is that those professionals are catching on too. (laughs) Yeah. I, well, I hope so. I mean, um, I know that, um, in the crisis unit, they've really adapted to me and they, they really enjoy that, um, that I'm teaching them things on the unit. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that they take, um, I don't know, uh, what the word I want to use. Um, but I, I, I know that they respect me and, and, uh-huh. and what I stand for. And awesome. when I talk to, and when I speak with them, you uh-huh. know, on the professional level, they have the peace, uh-huh. you know, with the doctors and the therapists and stuff, they actually, yeah. um, they really listen, Good. you know, um, and they listen to what I have to say. So it's not like, you know, it's a, it's a bunch of junk, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm just spewing, you know, and plus, you know, and plus when I talk to the clients, um, or my peers um, that I would call them um, mm-hmm. when I would speak with them, they, um, you know, I always told them that I wish that this is what I had, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years ago when I was struggling, mm-hmm. you know, all the things I've never had this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and my thought process was like, yeah, but you don't know how I really feel, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to the doctors or to the, you know, the therapists that were talking to me, you know what I mean? I'm, you know, sometimes I, I'd look at them and say, yeah, but you don't know how I feel. You don't, you don't know what's really going on in my right. head. You don't, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's so important to tell, you yeah. know, um, so that way they, they understand that this is what I'm here for. Yeah. And that's really you know? important, you know, that, I, there are a couple of different things that come to my mind. One is I say that in terms of helpers, we need people who are compassionate and skilled. Compassionate yeah. alone isn't enough and skilled yeah. alone isn't enough, you know? Right. And, and I think that's really important. And I think even though we theoretically know we get to be good consumers. And what I mean by that is we get to be, to ask questions, to, to 
insist on certain things to be clear about what we need when we know it, those kinds of things. That's what I mean by being a good consumer. Just like if I'm going to buy a pair of shoes to go on walks in the woods with, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to find out, you know, well, what, what's going to be good for the kind of walking I'm going to be doing and, you know, what kind of surfaces and, and, you know, what kind of price range and what kind of, you know, what do people think about these shoes and blah, blah, blah. You know, mm. I'm going to, I'm going to be a consu- good consumer in that way. I'm going to try to find information and then I'm going to try for, I'm going to try to get what, what it is that seems like the best thing for what I need. When we talk about the mental health care system or the physical health care system, either one, for me, we start from this kind of one down position where it's really yeah. complicated to, to sometimes to ask things of about to say, well, I don't, I don't feel better about this stuff that we've been talking about for three sessions. And, and I don't know, you know, I, I, I need something different. It can be, that's a really huge, brave thing to say. And we need to be able to, and it's, I think inherently difficult when we're going yeah. to somebody who's theoretically a, a, you know, somebody with experience, expertise, and helping is what we believe this this mental health person is supposed to be, you know, and then maybe they actually don't have the expertise we need. Maybe they are a really good therapist or a helper for somebody else, but but there's something about them that rubs us the wrong way. There are all these complications. And so Well, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and what I like to tell people about therapists is like if someone does rub them the wrong way, what yeah. I always feel is though if you don't feel a click you know, between you and that therapist within the first three days, don't give up on therapy. Just go back yeah. out and get another therapist because okay. maybe you guys are just not clicking. And that yeah. therapist is probably a really good therapist too, but maybe you're just not clicking between you yeah. and that particular therapist. Yeah. So if you're not hitting it off between the first three days, then I would suggest to move on, but yeah. don't, but don't stop therapy. But to continue to find another therapist that you can actually click with, usually you'll know, like in the first two sessions. Yeah, that's good. You know, but I always like to say three to try to give them an extra day. Yeah. You know. One of one of my personal stories, in terms of providing therapy, is um, a a college student age guy who. His dad in another state was really worried about him. His dad had found information about me, talked to me, and and thought I might be a good person to work with his son who hadn't really connected with some other therapists that they'd tried. And, and the son had been talking a lot about suicide. And, of course, parents are really concerned and trying to be helpful, but trying not to, to be, you know, take over in a way that their son was saying, no, 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 don't, you know, anyway. So, so this person, you know, I say, well, you know, I'm very, very willing to try to work with him. I do need him to, to be willing to, to make an appointment with me in the sense of I, I need some commitment from him that he's interested. So, so I sent this student some information and something I always say to people is what I'd like to do is I'd like for us to be able to talk and, and I never charge for that first meeting. And it may be that we decide that we can work together. And it may be that you really need somebody else. And my commitment is to help you find 
what's the right match for you. You know, it's not about you must talk with me if you come first. And so when, so when, when he comes and, uh, and uh, he says, you know why I came to see you? And I said, well, no, I don't really know what, you know, what got you here. And he said, it's because you said I didn't have to see you. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. That wasn't a strategic move. It's a true commitment on my part. It was. If it, you know, if I'm not the right one, I want to help you find the right one. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, I I want to move the conversation before because we can talk about all kinds of things. But I want to mention, of course, uh, we're, we're still early in the show, and we'll mention it again. That one of the reasons, well, the the way that you and I connected is truly because of somebody who's, who's a very special part of your family, Anne-Marie Matulis, who I yes. have gotten to just adore and respect from all of the things that, that, that I've learned about her from, from our working together via email, meeting in person, meeting you both at that, that same moment, you know, as at the beginning of the conference. And so you, with, I'm thinking, kind of some nudges and a little bit of help from Anne-Marie, wrote yep. a book called Embracing Imperfection, which is sitting right in front of me. And yeah. people, we're going to talk about this, and I'm going to tell you, like I do when I'm talking with writers whose work I think is so important, I think you should buy the book. I think somebody, you and or other people in your life, need to hear this story that is very accessible about Tracy and her journey. And the thing is, is that you can buy it easily. It's not my favorite place to recommend, but yeah, you can buy it from Amazon. <laughs> I got to buy it in person from Tracy, but anyway. Yeah. So, so tell a little bit about writing this book, because that's a huge thing to put your story out there in paper for people to be able to look at and think about. Yeah. That's a big, big step. Um. Yeah, it has. I, you know, it's, it was something that I've always wanted to do, but I realized I couldn't write. And, um, wait a minute, that's what, not true. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's because, um, what I did was I, I talked everything out on a uh -huh. tape recorder uh -huh. and Amory put it into the proper wording and okay. the proper word phrase. Uh -huh. But I mean, everything in this book is my, is my story, right. you know, in, in my words, it's just that Amory put it in a nice writing format. Um, we like, we don't like to call it a book. We like uh -huh. to call it a conversation mm -hmm. because it's the way I like to talk mm -hmm. and, um, and everything. So it, it's, um, it's, it's really very good. Um, it's, it's te teens can read it, you know, um, young adults and their families and friends. It's like open to everyone. They can, they can read it. It's, it's my journey. It's a, it's a roller coaster ride actually, um, to recovery from self injury and suicidal thinking and attempts, mm -hmm. you know, and to it's, finding those moments and emotional balance. Yeah. And it's delightful um, to read because it's so real. You know, even if I hadn't met you, 
I would still have this picture of this this person talking to me about this stuff, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, you'll say, yeah, I said that, but I'm going to say it again kind of thing, you know, so natural yeah. and delightful and engaging. And the first person I loaned my copy to after I read it is Carrie Gottstein, who is the peer co-facilitator of our support group for people who are survivors of suicide attempts. So, yes. so I read it, then I gave it to Carrie to read, and she loved it. It's a small book, which for her was perfect. She loved the, the tone of it. it. It was another piece of that building hope kind of scene. Okay, yeah. this is where Tracy came from, where she is as of writing this book. You know, she no, we're not exactly the same, but but there are some important similarities. And this is so cool to be able to read. Yeah, I thought it was the first time I read it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I thought it was. Um, um, but I'm still kind of like, like in this uh, block, like, oh, my God, I can't believe I actually have this out. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, I remember the first day that, you know, we actually had it up on Amazon for sale. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, yeah. really? I was like, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. You know, it was just something that, you know, that was part of my plan all these years, um, especially that I've been doing um, very well and I've been stable and taking care of myself. Um, it's been something that I want to do because I want... I just, I, I want people, it's not about the money. It's, it's about helping people, yeah. you know, I, I want people to read it. You know, I want them to, I want them to get help that they need. I, I'm hoping that this will help them, yeah. you know, yeah. um, with everything, whether it's, yeah. it's, it's family, you know, suicide loss survivors, you know, they can read it too. It's not graphic. It's not, it's, it's just enough to say that this is what I went through. This is what happened. And, and this is what I did mm -hmm. to overcome, you know? Um, and I just, yeah, it's, it's just something that um, I'd like people to read. Cool. You know, I just, I just want to help people. Yeah. And, you and know? here's part of my take on it. Okay, so I, I have a collection of, I have a growing, always growing collection of books that I loan to people uh, who are part of the work I do with the, the group for people who have suicide attempts or working with them individually or people in the, uh, in the group that I have for people who lost love with the suicide. And, and, I, and I always want to say, some of those are the same people. You know, I, I know people who've had suicide loss and unfortunately after that made a suicide attempt and they hadn't done that before. I know people mm. who are suicide loss survivors who had personally been affected by suicide thoughts and suicide attempts for a long time before that particular loss. I mean, it it's always important to me to say, we don't have to say, we don't have to only have we don't i don't want to say get to so many people have more than one experience related to, to suicide and, and that's yeah. another conversation but what i wanted to say is that so in in this collection of books that i have that are basically first-hand accounts and and in there is 
Craig Miller's book, This Is How It Feels, and Kevin Hines' book, Cracked Not Broken. And I love that phrase, Cracked Not Broken. And many others, actually, because I've, I've been seeking these out and been working in suicide prevention for a long time. So, so a lot of different books. And, and you know, I, I free, I'm so frequently refer people to read stories on livethroughthis.org from Desiree's stage, you know. Yeah. And, and when those people, you know, when people have their books, and some of them are people who do a lot of speaking, in terms of suicide prevention, mental health advocacy, you know, it's it's important to know that all of the people whose stories I have heard in person as well as through their writing, everybody's different and has some similarities. Some people, right. you know, when, when I think about some of the experiences I've had with, with, even with people I know who have borrowed some of my books, Sometimes a book is too graphic for somebody, you know, and it's yeah. real, it's not gratuitous, but it's, it's, it's just not something that person can read. And sometimes the person has heard that the, the, the person who borrows the book has heard the name, um, maybe seen video, who knows, of this person and already starts out feeling kind of intimidated like well, this person is a, is a rock star. I'm never going to be, and I don't mean literal musician, but a, you know what I mean. But but that kind of public person who has a lot, they have a lot of respect for, and, and so the person borrowing the book might think, I'm never going to be like that. So I don't. I this this story doesn't connect with me, and so well. To be honest with you, Masha, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, when I did um, uh, the voice at the table. That's uh -huh. exactly how I felt, believe it or not, when I did the voice at the table um, with Craig Miller, Desiree Stage, mm -hmm. um, and Kara Anna. Um, yes. When when they were in the film, I was just like, okay, I'm not even like these people. And yeah. and Anne Marie kept saying, yes, you are. Yes. I'm like, but yeah, but they're so well known. I said, I, yeah. I don't. I don't size up to them. I'm I'm not yeah. like I'm not like in their feet. I'm not like the same as them. Yeah. And she she had to get it through me that this is exactly what I, why I need you in there. Right. That I need right. that everyday person, that everyday right. person that's not like that. That's not like yeah. a, a someone a big advocate, yeah. you know, that's out there to hear your story too. Yeah. So, you yes. know, so I was so um I was so humbled uh to even to be asked. Um but then, you know, I you know, of course that's how I got the idea anyways to write my own story to start. Mm -hmm. You know, but this is how we start. Yes. You know, yes, we feel the the low self-esteem like we don't belong with these people but in reality you really do yes you do yeah. um and you know where, where i was headed with that and i love what you're saying because you're you're acknowledging that you felt that same intimidation and the thing is is because at this moment people can read your your book your conversation in writing it is in print so that's why i'm calling it a book tracy but yeah <laughs> people, people <laughs> right. can read it and and then have that sense of she sounds like a regular person I can relate to, you know, and and I'd like yeah. this person. I would like to meet this person. I would feel comfortable, 
you know, sitting down on a hot summer day and drinking lemonade with this person, you know, I mean, it's like, like that kind of a thing. And that is a huge gift that, that level of she's real, she's accessible. I can, I can, I can maybe get to where she is in terms of feeling better and stronger and, and doing some things that are, that are good for other people as well as myself. You know, I, I see you as providing inspiration and hope in that book in a way that that some of the other books don't quite get to do anymore because of the huge recognition of the authors yeah and that's not to discount their experiences and quite honestly when i think about craig miller anybody who talks to craig miller you get the sense he's a regular guy, you know? Right. He's not, yeah. He he's he's he has a regular kind of job and he has he has the great fortune from all the hard work of having a beautiful family and, and all the responsibilities that go along with that. You know, his his life is a life that a lot of people can truly relate to, which I love. And and you you do that in a in such a good way. And again, the the fact that it's it's not a huge book, you know, it's not intimidating to pick up. Um, and right. for people I know who are dealing with a lot of depression and anxiety, the concentration to read is a whole other challenge. And so even the look of the book and and the sweet picture of you on the front of it is like okay. And the name, embracing imperfection, it's like it's all like oh yeah, maybe I can read this. And then they start reading it and go, wow, yes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I'm I'm far from perfect. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I am and not perfect everybody. at all. That's you know? everybody. That's everybody. That's, everybody. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I hear that everybody. You know, they all they want is to be normal. And I always look at normal as a cycle on the washing machine. Right. That no one is normal, just like no one is perfect. Right. You know? Either that or everything's perfect. You know, it kind of go both ways. You know, sometimes things happen and, and it's like, oh, man, this is not what I wanted. And then it's like, well, we can actually say that everything happens is perfect. That can be okay, too. But not not to strive for something unrealistic. So for right. people who are listening to us blabber, it's like, so what are they talking about? We're talking about this book called Embracing Imperfection, and the authors are Tracy Pacheco Medeiros and Anne Marie Matulis. And I'm going to guess from all those names, if you're trying to do this by your listening and wanting to go to Amazon, um, I'm thinking you probably have better chance spelling the words embracing imperfection. Perfection. Yeah, embracing imperfection more than the last name. But Tracy's last, the, the last of her last names is M-E-D-E-I-R-O-S, Medeiros. Cool. So we got that book on the table I, and literally on my table right now. <laughs> yeah. I want to totally change subjects because because we're Facebook friends and Anne Marie and I are Facebook friends. And yeah. I was reminded yet again about you and motorcycles. I want you to talk about motorcycle riding. <laughs> well, that's a whole nother different kind of therapy altogether. Yeah, it is. I'm gonna put that, I'm gonna say that's what we're gonna talk about next. We're gonna take a short break. And hear from a couple of the businesses that sponsor lawrencehits.com. And then we're going to be right back with Tracy Pacheco Medeiros. And we're going to hear a little bit about motorcycles. Yeah. 
This is Marcia Epstein with Talk With Me. Welcome back, listeners. And today my guest is Tracy Pacheco Medeiros. And the reason you're able to hear us is because producer Daniel Smith is doing that technology magic stuff. And that's how come we get to share this conversation with the world. So thank you, Daniel Smith. Welcome back, Tracy. Let's talk about you and motorcycles. I want to hear about this. Oh, motorcycles. I've, I've always wanted a motorcycle all my life. And it was always been a part of my, my, um, my wicked awesome wish list. Uh, And, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up around motorcycles. All my brothers rode, they all have their motorcycle license. And I just sat there saying, oh, I wish I had one. You know, my brother would take me out for rides and stuff. And I just kept saying, oh, I wish I had one. But I never had, like, the nerve to do it because I never thought I could. And um, so then one day I just uh, I went out there. I got my permit. I signed up. I signed up for the... Um, I signed up for the classes, the motorcycle classes, and I did that. I highly recommend anybody who's learning how to ride a motorcycle to go to those classes. They will teach you. Yeah. Um, Yep. And and I finally got on my own bike. Cool. Um, This this is my second season on my own bike. And I tell you, I love it. Uh-huh. I I just love it. It's a whole nother type of therapy altogether. Just you, the wind, the sun. And just going out riding, it's so beautiful and it's so nice. You feel really free. You really do. Yeah. There isn't anything like it. Do you generally ride alone or do you have some people that you tend to ride with? Um, I generally ride alone right now. I'm trying to find people Uh that I can, um, that I can hang out with and actually go on bigger rides, you know, to Uh do. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm exploring some motorcycle groups here in Massachusetts that are nearby uh-huh. and, um, I'm, I'm thinking about joining one of them, uh-huh. um, just so I could be a part of their motorcycle group and stuff uh-huh. and have more people to ride with. Yeah. But right now I've just been riding by myself, you know what? And it's just as fun. Yeah. It's, it's just as fun going well, out by yourself. Cause it's not like you can talk to somebody when you're riding anyway. <laughs> Well, right. It's not like you can talk to somebody while you're riding. You're like you're shouting at, you're shouting over the over the pipes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, you know, and because because uh, some people have full faced helmets on too. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's really kind of hard to talk to them yeah. um, through that. Um, but it's just the just, camaraderie. You know what I mean? Yeah, yes. that you're together. You know. Yeah. And um, it just it just makes it so much nicer. Yeah. And I know that poker runs, which are this motorcycle event where you get a card at the stops and compete for best hand at the end. I know that poker runs are one of those things that are sometimes used as fundraisers for things related to suicide right. prevention. So, so hopefully a couple of those maybe will be ways that – you get to know some other writers yeah. you particularly well, like to hang out with. Well, actually, on on September 9th, mm-hmm. we're doing our own poker run. Uh-huh. For, 
Massachusetts, and the mm-hmm. Bristol County uh, Coalition is sponsoring it. Is and still, um, you know, tell me the full name of that, so if people want to find it, Bristol County. Bristol County Regional Coalition for Suicide Prevention. Coalition yep. for Suicide Prevention, and this is in Massachusetts. Yep, yep, and Amory is the uh, the program director okay. for that. Um, for the Bristol region. Um, so sh- what we what we're doing is that we're we're setting up um, a poker run, mm-hmm. you know, and like you have like you have a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. So at each stop, um, there's five stops for a poker hand. Mm-hmm. So at each stop that we take, we take a card. Each of us has a card, mm-hmm. and then we complete. And then once we do all the five stops, we come back to the run, and whoever has the best hand wins the best prize. Wins right. the prize, right? Cool. You know, so so it's 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 pretty fun, and it's yeah. and it's cool, and not to mention that it's for a great cause. It's for suicide great prevention. Yeah. Yes, very great cause. Important time. That is the Saturday, September 9th, which is one day before Sunday, September 10th, which is World Suicide Prevention Day. So perfect yep. timing to bring attention and, and help people learn things that they can do to make a difference in their own life and other people's lives. You know, I love yep. events like that can really be a huge way of drawing some people in to learn stuff that maybe they hadn't known much about but they hear about a cool event and like, yeah, I'll do that. So cool. So that's very cool. Yeah. So riding motorcycles is one of those things that I might say makes your life worth living, huh? <laughs> oh yes. Most definitely. Most, most definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, I can't say enough about it. I just, I just love it. I just, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm at peace when I'm riding, mm-hmm. you know, um, Especially when you're taking all the back roads, you know what I mean, uh-huh. and you're seeing the sights. I mean, that's yeah, that's beautiful, you know, yes. to to ride around and you know, yeah. I mean, it's- and one of the things I think about, and I don't, I'm not a motorcycle rider. It's been a long time since I've even been on the back of a motorcycle with a friend, but but that awareness that you must be in the moment when you're riding that motorcycle. You, you must oh, yeah. be paying attention to what's going on right then. You know, oh yeah, you ride. you you definitely are. You definitely have more eyes in your head than you do when you're sitting in your car. Uh-huh. You know, than you're driving your car because your car is like you're 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 in a cage, so you're you're boxed in. On a motorcycle, you know you're wide open, and yeah. there's like if you don't be careful you know, either riding behind someone, because what if the car jacks up in front of you? You've got to leave enough space for you and the car for you to stop. Because on a motorcycle, it's different, Yeah. you know? And then there's the option of always laying down your motorcycle if that was to happen so you don't get hurt. There's a there's a way that you can do that. Yeah. Um, so, so you're talking motorcycle safety, and what I was actually thinking about was that word that we hear so much, mindfulness. You know, mindfulness is really being in the moment. And for a lot of people, definitions of mindfulness and meditation aren't about sitting on your butt, repeating some some word. It's some words. Do any word. And so for you, motorcycle rides, that may be one of your types of meditation and certainly is something that involves mindfulness. 
And that focus on the here and now is one of those things that lets us let go of some other things for a while. And that's really yeah. refreshing. Yeah, that's cool. It is. It is. And we, you know, and, 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 uh, and us uh, motorcycle riders, we, um, we call that wind therapy. Okay. <laughs> You know, because it's just so it's windy on the bike, of course, yeah, you know, but it's but it's nice, and it's yeah. and it's just like you I don't know, you just feel so free, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just the it's like the best thing ever, mm-hmm. you know, being on a bike, mm-hmm. you know, and that does bring you right into being mindful, yeah, and being mindful of everything, your surroundings of everything, the smell yeah. and the air, you know what I mean, it's yeah. just everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. It's like you have all, all your senses there, you know? Yeah. So when you're riding back roads in Massachusetts in your area that you that you've headed out to so far on your bike, what are some of the kinds of things that you see? Oh, I sometimes um I ride down to the beach. I see the water, you know. I hang around, I smell the salt air, it's nice. Uh-huh. Um um, sometimes there's, uh, there's some, uh, I, I ride by some ho- horse farm, you know, where people have a lot of horses on their, on their place. And that's nice too, uh-huh. you know, to see the horses and, um, and I've actually ridden down to Plymouth, you know, my brother lives out there. So I like to take a ride out there every once in a while uh-huh. I visit him and then I ride around Plymouth for a little while. That's, that's very beautiful down by the water. Uh-huh. You know, um, those are just some of the nice things. I have yet not to gone out on a sunset yet. Uh-huh. Um, I haven't done that. I'm hoping to do that at some point to see a sunset. Uh-huh. You know. What do your brothers think about the fact that you are now joining them as a biker? Well, I know they all don't want me to have one. <laughs> but um, now they're just like, okay, we'll just be careful, uh, you know, you know, so it's, it's like, oh, make sure you're careful, you know, and, um, but they support me now, because I just went out and did it, uh-huh. you know, I didn't like ask for their permission, right. or anything, yeah. you know, I just went out and did it, and they were just like, oh, how do you like it, are you all right, or, Yep, just watch out for the cars, you know, because it's not always you. It's not about you. It's always yeah. about the other person, you know. Yeah. Just like you hear when you first get your driver's license on a car, you know. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting is clearly for you, you work so hard and have worked so hard for a long time to be alive and enjoy being alive. Of course, you're going to be careful on your motorcycle. <laughs> oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. Most yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. That's I mean, yeah. Well, that has been fun hearing about that part. I, I love that, that you have this passion for writing and, and imagining the beautiful places that you're seeing and the relaxation, the calming, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, so like when you, do you still work with kids in terms of the, the teenagers? Yeah. Okay. So there's some kind of youth center program yeah we have we have a it's called the silver city teen center it's here in time we're open on mondays and fridays 
because uh-huh. um, we used to be open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but now we're just open Monday and Friday. And the reason that we're not open on Wednesdays is because all the kids in the high school, they all, they're all doing stuff. Okay. Um, and that seems to be the day that they can't seem to all get together at the teen center. So they all seem to come on Mondays and Fridays instead. So do the kids know that you ride a motorcycle? Oh, yeah. They most yeah. certainly do. Yeah. So I'm thinking that gives you some extra cool points. (laughs) Oh, it does. Yeah. Along with my tattoos. All right. You know, (laughs) if the motorcycle didn't work before, it was always my tattoos that worked. Uh You know. Yeah. And so the kids go. But I would. I want a tattoo like Tracy, and the adults go, "Mm, "Wait till you're older." Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? But I would, I, you know, the thing, the story behind the tattoos, some of the tattoos is that I was a cutter. So mm-hmm. I self-injured and, um, and I used the method of tattoos to cover them up. Okay. That's, that's usually basically the whole story around the, the big tattoo thing. Yeah. And plus, once you get one, you, you know, you can never not stop anyways. <laughs> <laughs> So you have to get more. There you go. The, the reminder that for some people, their tattoos are a way of changing the look of marks on their body, scars, is is something that that is really interesting to me and has come up in, a, in an unusual way for me because I, I am... I don't want to say accustomed to that, but but I know enough people who that that is part of why their tattoos are placed as they are. And so I met somebody recently who had this tattoo that almost goes from the crease of her elbow to um, where her wrist and hand meet. So it's this long tattoo on inner arm. Yeah, it's it's um, that's a a half sleeve. Well, but let me tell you what it is. It's blank in the middle, and then it's lines. And what it is is it's it's a tattoo of um, like the a heartbeat from a heartbeat monitor of a child who died. Oh yeah. So, but for me, when I looked at it, what it looks looked like to me, which was weird, and and um, because I was so wrong, it looked like a long scar and then tattoo around that, that almost looked because of the, the lines of it almost looked like it was probably also related to cutting marks that were across that, you know, across as opposed to the whole length of the arm. And so, so right. when I first thought some assumptions went through my head about this person probably having experience lots of cutting and then having this tattoo, you know, and, right. and so, so I, I made this assumption without saying anything about it. Cause I wouldn't have done that. And then heard the true story of it. It's like, Oh man, I need to remember not to assume just because other people I know have tattoos for a different reason. You know, it's like, oops, I'm yeah. so glad I didn't say anything because I'm thinking for this person, she would have felt very offended if I had asked her about that. Anyway. Yeah. She might have. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Because it was it, it was not related to suicide or self harm in any kind of a way. Um, yeah. So. 
I mean, and that was the reason that was the reason why I covered up my scars with the tattoos because so many people were asking me and I was getting offended, you know, and I just didn't, I just wanted people to stop asking me. That was it, yeah. you know? So I figured, you know, if they saw the what tattoo, is- hey, they're like, oh, hey, that's cool. You know what I mean? So it's like, but I know the real reason why I have it there, you know? Tell me a little bit about that journey of not wanting people to ask you because I've, I've where I'm starting from is, I remember being in an eighth grade classroom and talking, I was, I did a lot of presentations around, you know, how can you help a friend? How can you help yourself? How do you deal with depression? Those kinds of suicide prevention types of topics in discussion with eighth graders, because that was where they had a health class required and mental health was part of that. Anyway, and so I remember so vividly being in a particular classroom and when I do presentations with, with with kids, I always walk around the room. I don't just stand in front of them. And there are other weird things I do because that's who I am. But anyway, so I noticed <laughs> this this young woman and her arm laying across the desk and scars on her wrist that clearly were from cutting. There was, yeah. You know, in terms of the mul- there were multiple. And so after, after, and at this time, the the class, they had a seating assignment. So they had, they, they, you know, they sat in the same place every time. So after the class was over, I said to the teacher, you know, hey, tell me a little bit about the kid who sits in this desk. Um, Because I noticed these, these scars and, and marks on her arm. And I would like to have somebody talk to her if she's not already talking to somebody. And the teacher's response was, don't worry about it. Her mom's a nurse. And my response was, she made a point of showing those marks. And it's great that her mom's a nurse, but it's really important that somebody here at school is also showing some concern and talking to her about what's going on. You know, and Absolutely. I was, yeah. And so so that's why I'm asking the question for you. When you got to the point where it wasn't helpful for people to know and ask you about that, tell me a little bit about tell us a little bit about that transition. Well, you know, I would I would just get annoyed a little bit because it was always like, Oh, they seen the scar and they'd be like, Oh, what'd you get in an accident or something? And I'd be like, No, I didn't get in no accident And they're like, Oh, well what happened? Mm-hmm. So I'd be like, Well, I would cut myself. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, well, why'd you do a stupid thing like that? Oh. You know, so that's like part of the story, mm-hmm. you know. So I was just like, I'm like, they didn't get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? They went, I wasn't going to stand there. And after they called me stupid, yeah, I wasn't going to stand there and try to explain it to them. Yeah, you exactly. know? Yeah. So, yeah, so I was, I was pretty much getting offended by all of that. And, um, yeah, but that was, that was the main, that's the main reason why. Um, so I just, you know, I got tired of it and, um, and I just decided to put something beautiful over it, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. you know, know, and and Um, people who are listening, I, I just, I, I feel compelled to say, People use self-harm of whatever kind because it actually helps them get through moments. Oh, it does. Most definitely. So it's, you know, for some people, 
that's part of how they stay alive until they get to some some healthier tools. So it's right. so important that we not make assumptions. One, we don't make assumption that, oh, that means you're trying to kill yourself because that's not what it's about. And, and we certainly don't want to shame somebody for that because they're no. doing the best they can to stay alive. And this does work. There are bio, biochemical things that happen, neurotransmitters that get released <laughs> that provide yeah. relief temporarily. And so it's not a stupid thing. It's it's not the safest thing, but it's not a stupid thing. A stupid thing. Right. Yeah. No, not by any means. Yeah. It's not. And it's not attention seeking either. I so hate that word. Yeah. Um, that's one of my like hate words when I hear a, a clinician saying that. It's just yeah. like it just gives me the creepy crawlies all over. And I'm like, I go, you ever think that that maybe they're trying to reach out and they don't know how? Exactly. And that's, you know what of, I mean? Yeah. Sort of my way is, is also to say, you know what, when somebody does something to get some attention, it means they need that attention. And so yeah. it's really important that, that we help support that person rather than ignore yeah. or judge them harshly for that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I understand that it's it's like um, it's a, it's like a coping skill, but it's a negative coping skill. But so until you use the word I use, yeah, it's, yeah. right, yeah. yeah. So it's like, so it's kind of like you know, until you can get the right coping skills under your belt, you can stop mm -hmm. cutting. There's a there's a way because mm -hmm. I was a cutter, and mm -hmm. I went through uh, DBT, which is dialectical behavior therapy, and mm -hmm. I went through that. And that actually helped me, um, you know, it turned my whole thought process around, you know, that helped me to stop cutting. I mean, it didn't happen overnight, but it slowly got me to stop cutting. Right. You know, right. And I mean, it was very, riding, riding your motorcycle. <laughs> right. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Right. It, when you, I'm thinking about other healthy things that you've done, like to, to do the work as a peer, certified peer specialist, you had to go through some training. I mean, you had to, there's, there's steps involved with that. What was that oh, like to start that process? Oh yeah, that was, um, that was a, a one week class. It, um, uh -huh. well, I mean, it went on for like uh, two, about two months, I'd say, um, about two months weekly. Um, and then we had a test. <laughs> So it was uh, it one one part was written was a written exam. It was essay question format, and then the other second half of the of the test was an oral, because they want you to be able to tell your story. So they oh. want you to be able to they want to hear how you would explain things and uh -huh. stuff, you know. Uh -huh. And um, I, I mean, I have to tell you that, you know, I, I took it three times, the class. I had to take it over because um, I, I just, I have a fear, anxiety of over, over exams. And I would second guess myself. So I would always doubt myself. And what I would do is in the first place, I would have the right answer, but then I'd erase it. Mm -hmm. And I'd put a different answer and then that's, I'd get it wrong. Mm -hmm. But you know that that last 
that last time that I, I took the exam, I was sick as a dog. I had the flu mm-hmm. and I went in and I said, well, you know, I said, even if I don't pass it this time, you know, I, I'll get a second chance at taking the test because mm-hmm. they give you three chances. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, well, I'll just go in and I'll try to do my best and answer the questions. And I was so sick, like I didn't even have the anxiety that I had before I was able to pass it, which was amazing, right? Yeah. yeah. Tell me about it, right? And I just like, I was like, they passed? I passed? Like, I couldn't even believe that I passed because I was just so sick, you know? Was, uh, I was like, oh, my God. I was like, seriously? I passed? I was like, I had to, I had to keep looking at the email. I must have read the email about five times. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, I was just so amazed. That's you know? cool. Yeah. You didn't have the energy to fight your, your instincts of what was right. You just wrote it right. and went on. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. Because I just, because all I was thinking about was just getting the answers down and, and, and getting out of there. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, so I could go home, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so we're in the last couple minutes of the show. We don't have much time, but I wonder if you want to say anything about Anne-Marie Matulis. <laughs> oh, Anne-Marie, right. Yeah. Well, she she is my mentor, you know? Uh-huh. Um, she's been my mentor for the last 20 years. Um. We got together um, from my, one of my friends, knew her. She introduced me to her, and um, I was like, she was, the girl was, the girl was like saying, like, she she knew me, and that she knew how messed up I was, and mm-hmm. Anne Marie, you know, she had the experience. Um, she had she had clinical experience. She used to be a counselor a long time ago, back in her dark ages, so she puts it. Um, <laughs> um, so um, so I just hooked up with her and we just hit it off. And mm-hmm. ever ever since then, you know, we became really like friends. And to be honest with you, she's she's more like a, a second mom to me than anything else mm-hmm. right now. You know, um, because we developed that friendship and stuff. And you guys do so many amazing projects. There's always new stuff that you're working on and such great innovation. And and again, we don't have much time, but but you all are doing doing workshops that combine people who identify as survivors of suicide loss and people who identify as as suicide attempt survivors talking together those kinds of conversations lots of different healing stuff that you're involved with it's so cool and and that program is called re-energize and reconnect workshop program Mm -hmm. that's the rnrwp that we talk about you know um it's a wellness check workshop that's intended you know like you said for a suicide attempt and loss survivors you know further along the healing path yeah um and we we encourage you know the participants to check in see how they're doing spiritually emotionally mentally and physically you know and um you know sometimes it's lighthearted. sometimes we cry sometimes you know we really laugh yeah you know um we, yeah. yeah and we have that but it's 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 the part about coming together you know and reconnecting and um awesome. and i 
And I have to tell you, the workshop program is a little bit of a 12-step modality, a little bit of DBT. Uh-huh. It's, um, it's got a little bit of everything in there, yeah. you and know. Then, a new project coming up is work with friends and family who are supporting people who are yep. living with suicide thoughts and, it's, and attempts and, and starting this as a national movement, ideally. And so this is great stuff you guys are doing there in Massachusetts. There are lots of cool things going on there. We are at the end of our hour, and I want to remind oh. listeners again, we have been talking with Tracy Pacheco Medeiros, and her book is Embracing Imperfection, The Healing Journey of a Suicide Attempt Survivor, um, written with Anne-Marie Matulis. You can find the book on Amazon, and you'll be glad you did. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you, Masha. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Very good. And so long to our listeners.